It's good to see you all here tonight. As a reminder, we make posts to our news blog on our website that I link to our Facebook site, and you can go there for any updates if the local and state authorities deem that we can no longer gather. We will post that there. But as of now, we're pressing on. And uh, thank you for your faith. This is very encouraging to me tonight, to be honest with you. And it's wonderful to see you all here. Let's pray for those who cannot be here. Take your Bibles tonight, please, and join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Despite the virus, we're still raising children. (laughs) So we'll keep with our series. And we'll begin tonight by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Some of you may be pleased that I hope to tie a ribbon over this little mini-series tonight within our larger series. We've been considering parent-children relationships for several weeks, and many of those weeks were in verse 1, looking at the command for children to obey. And then last week, we considered verse 2, the command to honor thy father and mother, and there's blessings for doing so, we saw in verse 3. The purpose in all of this is to direct our children to God. That's the reason for obedience. That's the reason for honor. They should learn to obey and honor their parents because of how that translates to obeying and honoring the heavenly father, obeying God. I mentioned how verse 1 and 2 go hand in hand. Children will obey parents that they honor, and they honor parents by obeying. Verse 4 is the key to all we have covered over the last six weeks. Let me reiterate something I've mentioned in a previous message, and that is godly children are not born from the womb. Ultimately, it takes being born again. But in between birth and the new birth, we parents have a job to do. And of course, it will require their entire childhood. The reason your child does bad things is because they're bad. I don't like the sound of that. Well, we all were bad as kids. David said in Psalm 51.5, we were, well, he said it of himself, but it applies to all of us. We were all shapen in iniquity, and in sin did our mother conceive us. As soon as a child comes forth from the womb, a new sinner has been born into the world. And that's why no parent has ever had to teach their children to disobey. They've never had to tell their children how to act out. How to get angry. How to be selfish. How to throw a tantrum. It just comes naturally because that's your sin nature. It's instinctive to sinners. Good parenting can curb the natural nature of a child by discipline, instruction, and example. And certainly love. There has to be a commitment by parents to see their children raised in a proper way that would steer them to the cross. If we let children be what they are naturally apart from God, then we'll, re- we'll raise corrupt human beings because they are sinners. You can think about it this way. You can bring a baby lion into your house, and he's cute little fuzzball for a season. But eventually that 
DNA, that which is in his nature is going to come out. And it's going to be destructive. You can go over to bear country here in about a month and you can pet the bears for a day during Cub Fest. You could actually hold a bear and pet it. But give it time and you won't be petting them any longer because they'll bite your face off. So how do we work at achieving verses 1 and 2? Let's read verse 4 again. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We see here that God calls the fathers to attention. This is directed to dads. It all starts with dad's discipline. Fathers are the arm of discipline in the home, not mom. Not saying moms don't discipline, they should. But it falls with the dad. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, speaking of bishops, I know, but it says this. He must be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Psalm, or the church of God, excuse me. Psalm 128, verses 3 and 4. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. It starts with the dead. And unfortunately, in many homes out there, mom ends up being the disciplinarian. Right? Because dad has gotten it into his head that his only job is to bring home a paycheck, come home, Veg out until he wakes up the next day to go earn another day's wage. But this isn't God's design for dads. A father is to be the ruler of his home. He's called by God to be the earthly head. And dads, I want you to listen to me. You don't have much time. You don't have much time. Listen to these passages. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Furthermore, we have, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Listen now. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for a profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. And then Proverbs 19, 18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope. Indicating there's a point where there's no longer hope. Hebrews says our earthly fathers corrected us only for a few days. If you haven't learned already, you only get a limited window to really shape your child through proper godly discipline. On average, after about the age of 12, that child is coming into their own really fast. Amen. Think about that. You only get 12 years to make some of the biggest impacts in their life. Because after that point, you're going to start losing them. If you haven't gotten them before then is what I'm saying. If you think about the fact they're probably not going to remember anything from about before the age of three, you've got about ten years. Ten years. I know for a fact that most rebellious children in the home are a result of parents not disciplining them early in life. Especially when dad has been absent from his God-given responsibilities. And by the time parents realize that they have this monster on their hands, it's around the age of 12 that they'll show up asking, what in the world can I do? 
and I'm left to tell them, I'm sorry to tell you, but you should have gotten their uh, attention back there when they were just little bitty guys. And now that you've waited until they're 12 years old to start trying to wake them up from their disobedient life, you probably have lost them because now you'll start to discipline them. And guess what the school has told them? They can have you locked up. Amen. This reality, there's only a short time. On average in the United States, your son will live to be 76.3 years. Your daughter will live to be 81.4. If you only have a good 12 years, that's not much to deal with in a whole life. You can still have influence in their life after the age of 12. Okay, that's not the magazine. The age will vary depending on when they hit puberty. I'm just throwing out a 12-year-old range there. But your influence will start to change. You can still have influence after that point, and you should. But it will be altogether different as they get older. As a father who is in the midst of raising four children, three of which are now teenagers, amen, pray for us, I can tell you you have to start discipline early if you want any hope of capturing your child's heart. And it goes by fast. My oldest is now 17. Some of you remember when we arrived here the first time with no children. And you watched Sydney in the nursery. And now she's helping to watch kids in the nursery. How old does that make y'all feel? <laughs> like I said, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't continue into their teenage years. It will if you did things right early on. But for many lessons after that, they'll begin to learn them more and more the hard way. Because they're going to start viewing your wisdom differently. Not in every case, okay? But that seems to be the norm out there. When they're about five, dad knows everything. He's stronger than everybody. And all the questions to dad, why? Why this? Why this? Why? That's how they look at dad. <laughs> There's a constant barrage of questions of why this and why that. And they see you as awesome. But then, as they get into their teenage years, the why questions are not asked because you're the greatest thing on earth. The why questions are with an attitude. Why can't I? Why won't you let me? See, the attitude starts to come out. So my point is, start early while there's hope. If you wait until later on, you're losing hope according to the Bible. That's not my opinion. And that's a promise. It's a promise rooted in God's word. You've got to start early. But dads, you're called to the forefront. You can talk to men who have run youth homes and camps for troubled children, and they will tell you that of, out of all those who come through their institution, whether it, it doesn't matter what religion the background, it doesn't matter their race, there is one common factor in every case just about, and that is dad was absent. Even if he was there, dad was absent. That is a common factor that has been proven time and time again. And a lot of those guys will say, the problem is there's no man in his life worth his salt. My dad worked in mental health career field for many years. So imagine being raised by a drill instructor, psychobabble. Uh, amen. And so I, it was fun. I remember at one point, my dad in Georgia working in mental health, he worked at a camp for troubled kids. And 
a common denominator, I asked them today, is a common denominator a lack of proper presence of dad in the home? And this is what he told me, quote, Yes, most definitely. Part of the rebellion was the lack of a father figure, especially with young men. Working there, you became somewhat of a father figure to a lot of them, and they were able to adjust and go on and become productive young men. Of course, not all. This is the line that got me that he told me. Some only needed a man to talk and relate to them as a man. Now, this isn't just my opinion. This is proven statistically across any group you read. Every reporting agency will tell you that when father is absent in the home, children are more rebellious. I don't know much about this website, but this is one place I grabbed some stats from. It's from lifeisbeautiful.org. You can take these numbers for what they're worth, okay? 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. 70% of youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention and residential treatment, come from a fatherless home. 92% of the parents who are currently in prison in the United States are fathers. 39% of students in the United States from the first grade to their senior year of high school do not have a father at home. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out from school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with a father. Only 68% of children will spend their entire childhood with an intact family. Teen girls from fatherless homes are four times more likely to become mothers. Pregnant women who do not have the support of the father experience pregnancy, who do not have the support of a father experience pregnancy loss at a 48% rate. When the father is present, the, the prevalence of pregnancy loss falls to 22%. Children who live in a single-parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in a two-parent home. 63% of youth suicides involve a child who was living in a fatherless home when they made their final decision. 72% of Americans believe that a fatherless home is the most significant social problem and family problem that is facing the, uh, their country. Living in a fatherless home is a contributing factor to substance abuse, with children from such homes accounting for 75% of adolescent patients being treated in substance abuse centers. 85% of all children which exhibit some type of behavioral disorder come from a fatherless home, and fatherless children are more likely to experience abuse and neglect. 90% of youth in the United States who decided to run away from home or became homeless for any reason originally came from a fatherless home. Children who live in a fatherless home are 279% more likely to deal drugs, carry fire, firearms for offensive purposes compared to children who live with their fathers. And sadly, 43% of fathers don't see their role as something important to their personal identity. Fathers, I want to tell you tonight, the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. It's when you don't care enough to be an active part of your child's life. That you don't care enough to challenge your children to godliness. And many youth who end up in a correctional custody situation end up being repeat offenders. Because when they got back home, there was nobody there to encourage them along. And some have reported that they are repeat offenders because they want to go back into an environment where they had structure and somebody who cared enough to discipline them. 
Do you realize that children are not opposed to discipline and rules? That's evident based off of the culture in street gangs. You understand that troubled kids will find a situation where there are rules of conduct, there are consequences when they break those rules, but they like the sense of belonging. Now, they wouldn't say it that way, but it's as clear as it can be. So how are we to be proper fathers? And, and moms, you need to take note. Because I understand there are situations where dad is not there. There's some deadbeat dads. There's some dads who ran off and left mom with the kids. There's some dads who have passed away. And you need to take note. First thing we find here in verse 4 is that we are not to provoke our children to wrath. Why is that? Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. When you provoke your children to anger, they get discouraged, or that means that they lose heart. When that happens, they quit trying to please dad. Many suffer from having a father they could never please. And they lose heart and they give up altogether. Instead of provoking them to wrath, we are to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To bring them up means we raise them to maturity. To nurture means we are to educate and train them through godly instruction. To admonish them means we are to rebuke Uh, rebuke them by calling their attention to God's Word and God's standard. Admonish them in the Lord. There are some practical ways to do right by our children. Let me give you some things real quick tonight. Number one, never discipline out of anger. That's a recipe for provoking your children to wrath. Disciplining out of anger is often a result of not disciplining beforehand because it was inconvenient for you to do so. What I mean by that is when you see your children disobeying or being disrespectful or whatever the case is, because it takes work for you to get up and do something about it, you let it go. And you let it go some more. Until eventually the day comes, you blow up and lose it, and you're in a mess and you're disciplining them now out of anger because you never dealt with it back there. And all you really want for them at that point is, I just want you to act right because you're bugging me. And it has nothing to do with pointing them to God. But when there's nurturing in our discipline, when there's admonition in the Lord, there ends up being instruction that helps them spiritually, that encourages them because we're no longer just disciplining them because we got ticked off. Amen. We really need to discipline. (laughs) I want you to get this phrase. We need to discipline ourselves on how we discipline, right? We have to discipline ourselves. Train ourselves to sit our children down, explain what the problem is, why we are administering discipline, let them know that we are not disciplining them because we are mad, but because we love them. Whether they believe it or not. (laughs) Amen. Whether they believe it or not. You let them know that your discipline is because you want them to be all God has created them to be. Number two, never discipline to hurt. And I mean physically, emotionally, and mentally. If you administer proper discipline from an early age, then you won't need much force behind your discipline. I covered that in a previous message. But don't ever get to the point where you lose it and you end up abusing your child. You don't have to beat them senseless. Amen. Don't beat them down verbally either by name-calling. 
that will destroy a child. When you resort to labels to your child, you just made that child feel worthless about themselves. Well, you're just so stupid. Well, you can never do anything right. And all that does is it kills a child's heart. And listen, parents, if you ever step over a line with your child, you need to be man enough to apologize to them. I've had to do it before. And it's likely you've had to do it before. Children don't expect perfect parents, but they expect parents to be perfectly honest. Number three, never discipline without reinforcement. Make sure you praise your children along the way. They will care most of all of what dad thinks about them. They need to know that their parents are on their side. Praise them when they do things well. If you're not on their side, they're going to find someone who is. Satan will be sure of that. I think I'll mention that here in a minute. Please get this point. Live a consistent lifestyle. Live a consistent lifestyle. Two types of children have a hard time yielding to spiritual things as they grow. One is a child from an abusive home, which we've covered in a previous message. The other is a child who has a parent who will preach one thing, but then live another way at the house. You're going to have a hard time reaching that child. They historically will reject the faith of their father. Some of these will go on to even try and destroy the ideology of this kind of hypocritical upbringing in the home. And they will tear down Christianity at every turn. If you are, some of you may not like this statement, but if you're in a godless home, then you might as well not even bring your children to church. Just stay home. Send them on the bus. Because what you're inadvertently going to do is you're going to drive them further away by thinking, i got to get them in the church house, and they're going to see you all pious on Sunday morning, and then see you act like the devil the rest of the week, and it's going to destroy any hope they have of coming to know the Lord as their Savior. Do yourself a favor. Stay home. Drink your beer. Send your kids on the bus, and let them find what God has for their life. That's good preaching right there. When your children become faced with some of life's toughest decisions, they should be able to look back in their childhood at dad and mom and see an example or a principle which is the answer they're seeking for. For example, they become faced with a very major life decision. Maybe it's a very big temptation. Maybe it's something that uh, is it's so dangerous. And when they are confronted with that, they need to be able to look back and see how did mom and dad live. Amen. Don't preach one thing and live another. Don't be a hypocrite. Number five, never discipline without a relationship. You need to be involved in your kid's life, in other words. Communicate with your children. When you discipline with an expected measurement that you want a child to reach, but there's no relationship with that child, and they don't know that they're loved, then he'll do all kinds of things to prove to you that he's a man later on in life. He'll conquer women to show you he's a man. He'll work for material reasons and collect things to show you he's a man. And the worst extreme is they'll find another man to love them. Dads, you need to love your children. If you won't love your daughter, Satan will bring a man along that will love her. He'll capture her heart and he'll use her and then spit her back out. 
You need to love your sons. Satan has somebody waiting to trip them up. In the dark night. Proverbs 7. Number six, love your children equally. Don't play favorites. All that does is bring turmoil to a home. Don't try to make your child into something they are not. In other words, you don't bend them a wrong way. Find what their natural tendency is and you guide them that way. If they have a brilliant mind, guide them that way. If they have a strong back, guide them that way. If they have a gifted talent in some musical, guide them that way. You understand what I'm trying to say? You find what it is that they're good at and you don't sit there and try to beat them into what you wish you could have been in, in your childhood. Man, I'm sick of parents doing that. Well, you're, you're going to be a beauty queen. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. You know, say what you will about Simon Cowell, but the world needs more Simon Cowells. He said, you can't sing. Shut up. <laughs> All of your children have unique personalities and gifts. Work with them accordingly. Don't ask why they can't be like so-and-so. I would never go to Levi. Levi, why can't you be more like Carson? Can you imagine? Just seeing his face just now, it was like, huh? I mean, it breaks a kid's heart. You need to love them where they're at. Can I just encourage you, hug your kids while you can. Communicate the love you have for your children. Pray for your children. Pray with your children. Let them know they are loved. So parents, whatever it is you do in life, no amount of success can ever be a good exchange for that limited window of opportunity you have in that 12-year opportunity. It's not worth climbing to the top of the ladder if you lose your kids. And you've heard me say many times, I will walk away from this pulpit if I start losing my kids because I'm doing something wrong in the home. And how am I supposed to rule the, the house of God properly if I can't even rule my own house well? You don't get much time. Make it count. Use every opportunity to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I love this quote. I don't remember who it is. There was a very high-ranking man in our government. And this was what was written in his journal. He took his son fishing one day. And this is what he wrote. Went fishing today. Oh, what a wasted day. But his son... His son wrote in his journal, went fishing with my dad today. It was the best day ever. Spend time with your children. Amen. Proverbs 17, 6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Let's pray.